Hey, it's, it's good to see you. Good Sunday to gather together. Real encouraged this morning as we sat down and I heard someone come and say, man, I had a hard time finding a parking spot and then seeing a lot of people here this morning, a pretty full morning. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord you're here tonight as well. Hey, tonight is uh, hymns that you may want to sing or verses, uh, scripture, um, prayer, prayer, praise or prayer, any of that. Think about that now, something that God would have you share. We'd love to hear from you tonight. Give you a heads up that's headed your way. But in the meantime, let's do as we always do and start by singing. Would you stand and let's sing together? the completeness of God's great character and his holiness is sing together holy
back to that first verse, guys. If you can, we'll sing that a cappella. Thanks, guys. Let's sing together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful. Thank you, Father, for these strong songs of our faith. Thank you that we can learn deep, meaningful theology from your scriptures through the songs that we sing. We don't take that for granted. We thank you very much for the writers, composers of this music. Thank you that we can sing in our churches and sing freely. Sing freely because of the love you've given us and sing freely because we have the freedom to do that in our nation. We are grateful for that. But help us to sing forevermore, no matter how we feel, how things are going, just to lift up our praises to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's be seated. We're going to be reading from Psalm 24. Pick out some of our selected psalms to look at and actually this evening we're going to be looking at Psalms 22, 23 and 24. But we'll just read Psalm 24 at this moment. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall send into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them who seek him, who seek your face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Psalm 22, 23, and 24, each of them are really messianic psalms. Psalms concerning the Messiah. In Psalm 24, the King of glory will come to this earth as the earth opens its gates to the King of glory.
Thank you, Landon. That was fantastic. So Landon got to share a little bit of his talent with you this evening. So now it's your opportunity to share something. Um, as, I, as I open this time up of um, testimony, I forget, it's, it's hymns, praise, prayer, and verse. There we go. <laughs> All right, I got it. Um, as, I, as we open up this time, hopefully you've been thinking about maybe something you can share. And I certainly won't take away from that. But at the same time, um, one thing I'm going to have a seat. Um, one thing I'm going to share with you just kind of get things started um, is one of my favorite verses. Um, the reason I'm going to share this is because um, one of the things that um, we haven't necessarily emphasized since at least I've been doing this is the verses end of things. So I thought it would be kind of cool if you have something else to share, that's great. But if you have like, a favorite verse that you could share this evening, that would be fantastic. And maybe a little explanation as to why it's your favorite verse. Um, but one of my uh, favorite verses is found in um, the um, book of Genesis and the story of Joseph. And I'm sure when I start telling this, you're going to know exactly where I'm going. But we know the life of Joseph was not an easy one. Um, not <laughs> liked very much by his brothers. Uh, sold into slavery in prison, uh, just, just a, a difficult life for him, uh, yet um, by God's grace and by his power, he w rose uh, in authority to become second in command of Egypt, and um, then, of course, we know the famine that happened, and uh, how that affected um, not just Egypt, but the surrounding area, even to where Joseph's family was living. And such that uh, the brothers had to come down and acquire some food from Egypt um, where they saw Joseph, not recognizing it was him. And you know the whole story. And there was a, a period of, of uh, forgiveness, right? And then, um, the, but the brothers were a little uneasy. In fact, you read the story, you find out that the brothers were very concerned about how uh, their brother Joseph was viewing them. Um, even after this, this time of redemption in their family, and, and so much so that when the father dies, he's very, they're very concerned that maybe now um, Joseph will exercise his wrath uh, with the death of the father, and uh, Joseph calms their fears uh, by saying something. I'm just going to paraphrase it here. It's found in Genesis uh, 20:50, and it's... Uh, you meant it for, or excuse me, Genesis 50, 20, got it backwards. But you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's a great passage to just remember in my life as I think of all the many times where I'm confronted with various situations and the person, um, whether they're a Christian or not, you know, they may not treat me the way they should. And I can remember that, you know what, they may mean that for evil, but God can use it for good in my life, even the challenges of people, right? And even those in close relationships, right? Um, all right, so um, I shared a little something there. So maybe you have a favorite verse. I know. <laughs> all right, maybe you have a favorite verse, testimony, praise, prayer, whatever it might be, Him. we can do that too. Um, but if you have something you'd like to share with this evening with us, I uh, would love to hear that. Um, Isabel, you want to run around with the mic? Is that why you're here? All right. All right. So who's going to – oh, oh, he's got an extra one there for you, okay? Let's, Mr. Charlie got it. Okay. So 
Um, all right. All right, turn around. Hi, everybody. Um, wanted to share a little story, a, a praise, tremendous praise, matter of fact. <laughs> um, and just give you a little background if I can. You took about three, four minutes, so maybe I could take three, four minutes. <laughs> But this is exciting after 49 years. My sister Marilyn down in Florida, who had a stroke a couple years ago, got saved last week. Mm. And uh, I'm going to cry, but it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to give you a little bit of a background on it. Um, oh, about 10 years ago, my brother-in-law Bill, Marilyn's husband, uh, his mother Trey, uh, had very bad Alzheimer's. And... Um, I was working with a, an organization named the uh, Women's Refuge of Vero Beach. And um, the Lord kept laying on my heart that day to go over and see Trey. And I kept saying, Lord, what am I going to say with Trey? You just got bad Alzheimer's. She always sits bent over. And Lord, you know, I can't sit on the floor and look up at her because of my neck, you know. And so you're going to have to do a miracle here. So I obeyed and I went. And when I got there, she was sitting on the edge of the bed, and I sat down, and we chatted for a little bit. And she kept saying, are you on your break? Are you on your break? And I said, no. I said, I, I'm just on my way home, and I'm stopping to see you. And anyway, in the course of the conversation, I mentioned about knowing for sure I was going to heaven. And she said, oh, I wish I knew that. And I said, well, Trey, I can help you with that. And folks, she sat straight up, and for 45 minutes, God straightened her mind out. And we talked about Christ. And she trusted Christ, and then we talked more. And I knew the time was over when she looked at me, and she said, are you on break? <laughs> and she bent back over. I left that place, and I went out straight out to Marilyn and Bill's home, and I said, sit down. I got a story to tell you. And I told them about what happened to his mom. December, not this last December, last year, Bill was walking. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here, but anyway, Bill was watching Dr. Charles Stanley on Sunday morning when my friend who was taking care of him went in and he was watching and he was telling him how to be saved. Two days later, they're sitting having coffee and Bill looked at Linda and said, I asked Jesus to be my personal savior. So uh, after Bill died, Bill died in January, I wrote my sister an eight and a half by 11 email and I told her about Trey and reminded her about that situation I said, I'm going to tell you about Bill and how he trusted the Lord. And I want you to know that Bill is with his mom in heaven. And I want you to know also that your two-hour-old baby that you lost at birth is also with them. I give you that background because when she got saved last week, my friend who's been going down there, I have two friends that are lovely Christians and love Marilyn. And so they keep going by to see her. And this one friend, Dale, said to her one, uh, last week, you know, um, if you, you know, I've wanted to ask you this for a long time. Have you ever asked Jesus to be your personal savior? And she said, no, I haven't. And Dale said, would you like to? And she said, yes, I would. And so she spent time with her, talked with her, prayed with her. That's when I had my lung biopsy last Tuesday. She called and left a message on my home phone when I got home from the hospital the next day. That was there on the phone. And she said, Wilma, Dale saved me. <laughs> I said, no, Dale didn't save you. Jesus did. <laughs> but she said, I just want you to know I'm so happy that I can be with my family now. And so to show you that things got cleared up, um, uh, my friend Linda was uh, by uh, seeing her. And, um, <clears throat> dear, 
um, I can't remember what I was going to tell you about Linda. Anyway, oh, um, one of the employees, she had moved from one facility to another, and one of the employees came in to ask Marilyn, you know, what, um, what denomination are you? You know, we need to get background. And she said, I'm Catholic. And she went, no, I'm not. I'm a born-again Christian. <laughs> so she understood what she did, and I'm so thankful. And uh, thank you for those of you that have prayed for her all these years. It's been 49 years. And uh, never give up. Keep praying because God, God's Holy Spirit is working. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's the sort of testimony that we don't mind taking time to listen to. So that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that tonight. Uh, would somebody else like <clears throat> to share maybe another testimony or um, favorite verse? Him? Well, I got, a, I got a hymn request if no one else has anything. Oh, hold on. I got, did you have one too, Landon? Okay. What's yours? 200? Okay. All right. Amazing Grace. Sing the first and the last. Well, just uh, on the verse and the things here, um, I often think about this. What do we really, really need in, in the body? And the answer is food and clothing. How do we know that? Did we kind of figure that out through human history? Well, the Bible tells us that answer. So I think of this verse a lot here. Um, it's in First Timothy and uh, the verses leading up to it, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We have brought nothing into the world, so we, and so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And I think about that often as how much we have so much more, and you know this, I know this as Americans, we have so much more than just food and clothing um, we own a lot, but what is it that we really need is those two items in the body. Uh, Paul, Paul knew it. That's why he wrote it. He lived that. He knew how to be content in riches. He knew how to be content when he had nothing. 
but ultimately we trust the Lord for the basic needs, food and clothing, and he'll take care of us in, in all our needs. So I really appreciate that verse. All right. Yes. A request. Great, great is thy faithfulness. You know the number? 39. 39. How about we do verse 1 and 3? opportunity. Any any other hymns or praises? Um, verses? Favorite verses? All right. All right. Well, we're going to turn over to Pastor Don. Let me just share a quick testimony, uh, and really a thanksgiving. I, I, I want to publicly thank both Mike and Eddie. You know, I've been preaching for 45 years. In those 45 years, I never once had to call somebody at the last minute to step in and preach for me because I couldn't. Um, I praise the Lord for that good health that he's given me. Now, I there were times when I wasn't feeling great when I preached, but I never had to call somebody to, to step in at the last minute. In the last month, I've had to do it twice. When I ended up in the emergency room with my back, I had to call 
Eddie Saturday afternoon and say, Eddie, I, I can't preach tomorrow. <laughs> and he graciously and willingly stepped in and did so on Sunday. And then uh, here a week and a half ago, I'm not sure if I was reacting to the medicine I was on or if I got a stomach bug. I'm not sure what happened. But Wednesday morning, I felt awful. And uh, it kind of had been building up, but Wednesday it really hit. And Mike said, well, I can take tonight. And I said, no, I'll be fine. Well, about 4.30, I wasn't fine. <laughs> so I called Mike and I said, Mike, you got to take Wednesday night. So uh, thank you, Eddie, Mike. Appreciate that so much, just stepping up. And, but also just to thank the Lord that I didn't have to do that until recently, after 45 years. The Lord's been so gracious. And we take our health for granted, and maybe I won't do so so much anymore. Psalm 22 is really where we're going to begin here this evening. Um, we know that the Old, Old Testament is filled with, with much prophecy concerning the Messiah, the Christ. Prophecy concerning his birth, his life and ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. A lot of prophecy concerning his second coming. And the Psalms actually prophesy concerning the Messiah. Now, the prophecies that we find in the Psalms is a little different than what we might find in the prophets themselves, whether it's Isaiah or Daniel or the other prophets. You know, when the prophets prophesied about the Messiah, they just would, would state something about the Messiah, what he was going to do, what was going to happen to him, something about his, his life and ministry. In the Psalms, it's a little different. In the Psalms, the psalmist is writing, and the psalmist is actually writing about himself, how he's feeling, what he's going to do, or what he has done. But as he does so, it's actually, through the Holy Spirit, prophesying about what the Messiah is going to be feeling, or what the Messiah is going to be doing, or what the Messiah might be saying. And the psalmist himself may not even realize that he's prophesying about the Messiah. And yet, as he expresses his own thoughts and feelings, and perhaps the what he's doing, he actually is prophesying concerning the Messiah. And those psalms that do that, we refer to them as messianic psalms. And there's a number of them. Uh, one, you don't need to turn to it, but uh, um, in Psalm 41, we just read, uh, Yes, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Well, that's David explaining something that happened in his life. A friend betrayed him. But in John chapter 13, Christ quoted from Psalm 41 concerning himself, that a friend who he ate with would betray him. And of course, that was Judas. And so Psalm 41 is one of those messianic psalms in which David was just expressing what happened to his own life but the Holy Spirit was using it as prophecy concerning the Messiah. And so Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are those messianic psalms. And uh, we're familiar primarily with Psalm 23, probably the most uh, uh, familiar and favorite of the psalms. The three together form what we refer to as a trilogy. A trilogy is defined as a, a set of three related plays novels or poems, which together form an extended unified work, though each has its own unity. 
So Psalm 22 is a unit unto itself. Psalm 23 is a unit unto itself. Psalm 24 is a unit unto itself. But when you put it together, it forms a larger unity. And I would refer to Psalm 22, 23, and 24 as simply the trilogy of the shepherd. Psalm 22 being the good shepherd. Psalm 23 being the great shepherd. Psalm 24 being the chief shepherd because of what the New Testament says about it. So we're going to look at that trilogy tonight, not obviously going to be looking at each of the Psalms very thoroughly, but just as a trilogy, each one a unit unto itself, and yet together forming this, this trilogy of the shepherd. Let's bow in prayer. Guide us, Father, tonight as we would consider these Messianic Psalms and just we can rejoice in the the truth of those psalms and the, the promises of those psalms. And we thank you, Father, that, that we can look to our Savior as our shepherd. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 22, I have entitled The Good Shepherd. That's based on John chapter 10. If you're familiar with John 10, the good shepherd, Christ says, gives his life for the sheep. And Psalm 22 is about the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. It begins right away in verse 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Psalm 22 are words that Christ spoke from the cross as he was dying in our place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, as David writes this, he's expressing his own feelings. He's feeling like he's been forsaken. He's in a, a very low point in his life, going through some difficult times, and, and he feels as though God's forsaken him, and so he's asking that question. Again, not realizing that it's actually prophecy and that Christ cried that from the cross. Um, the rest of verse uh, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear me not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. But you are holy, O, o you who inhabit the praises of Israel. Um, David's expressing his feelings that he's been forsaken, that God's not answering, that God's not, not responding to his cries. And in verse 3, we really have the reason. You are holy. That's why... Christ was forsaken because our sins was placed upon Christ and God the Father in his holiness had to forsake him. Now, David was feeling forsaken by God, but we know that David really was not forsaken by God because God has promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. So David was going through a low time and he, he was struggling, he was feeling like God had forsaken him, but God really had not. But when Christ cried this from the cross, the Father really did forsake him because the Father was holy. Our sin placed upon him, the Holy Father could not look upon his son. He had to forsake him. And, and we sing the song often, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And we recognize that, that reality in, in, our, in our very salvation. We will never be forsaken because 
God did forsake the Son. Because He forsook the Son, we are able to be forgiven of our sins and never be forsaken. What a wonderful truth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verses 7, down to verse 7, All they who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. Um, Matthew 27 at the crucifixion of Christ, we read, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their head. And so, Psalm 22, referring to the Messiah, and that's exactly what happened when he was on the cross. They were wagging their head at him. Verse 8, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Matthew 27, verse 43 He trusted in God. This is what they were saying at the foot of the cross. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said he is the Son of God. And so the people at the foot of the cross were actually quoting from Psalm 22, not realizing it, that they were fulfilling prophecy. Down to verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. That seems like a pretty fair description of crucifixion, doesn't it? As hanging on the cross, probably uh, many of the, the, the bones of his joints, are uh, the joints of his bones were, were out as he hung on the cross. Um, the stress on the heart, many um, doctors would say that uh, actually uh, in crucifixion, the one being crucified actually ends up dying of a heart attack. I don't know exactly, I'm not a doctor, but certainly there would be stress on the heart. So a very apt description of crucifixion, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you have brought me into the dust of death. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, Christ cried from the cross, I thirst. Prophecy. David's just describing how he's feeling, but actually prophesying concerning Christ. And then, of course, verse 16, um, we're familiar with, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Talk about the precision of prophecy. You know, when David wrote this, crucifixion wasn't a thing. He talks about the hands and feet being pierced. And when Christ was crucified, we read that his hands and feet were pierced. The precision of prophecy. Then you come down to verse 22. Things seem to to change. I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise you. So there's there's a change. He's talking about being forsaken and God not listening and how awful he's feeling. And and then all of a sudden it's, I'm going to declare your name among the brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise you. We know that verse 22 is the resurrection. As Christ rose from the dead, he was able to declare the name of God among the brethren, among the disciples, as he appeared to them after his resurrection. You who fear the Lord, praise Him, all you uh, the seed of Jacob. Glorify Him and fear Him, all you the seed of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has He hidden His face from Him, but when He cried unto Him, He heard. 
Yes, when he was on the cross, Christ was forsaken by the Father, but not permanently, not forever. The Father did hear the Son, and he did rise from the dead. As you continue down through verses 25 through the end of the chapter, my praise shall be of you and the great congregation. I'll pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. All they that are fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he has done this. I read those verses. No, that really clinches that this is a messianic psalm because the death of no other man could have that result. It was the death of Christ and his resurrection that results in the whole earth coming to God in worship. No other death could accomplish that. This is a messianic psalm. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then we come to Psalm 23. Again, the most familiar of the Psalms and the favorite of the Psalms. But I would refer to this Psalm as the great shepherd. That's based on Hebrews chapter 13. Let me just read from Hebrews 13. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Isn't that what Psalm 23 is about? The great shepherd making you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing. That's what Psalm 23 is about. God working in us. God working his pleasure with us as the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to meet my needs. He's going to work in me and meet my needs as he makes me perfect, as he he sanctifies me, as he continues to set me apart more and more from sin unto God. And as the great shepherd, he's going to meet my needs. I'll not lack, I'll not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That that beautiful picture of of calmness and and tranquility. Um, Is there any more calming picture than than sheep out in a green pasture beside the still waters? He restores my soul. Um, Soul, of course, being the seat of our emotions that my great shepherd gives me emotional stability in a world that is often in turmoil, often in chaos. I can have calmness of soul. I can have stability of emotion because he's my great shepherd. He's working in me, accomplishing his will. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I just need to follow the shepherd and I'll be on the right path. He'll lead me in the right way. And, and, and if we want to even make this more personal, um, 
obviously he's going to lead all of us righteously and in a righteous path, but, but we could even just say he's going to lead me in the right path for me and he's going to lead you in the right path for you. It may be a different path in the sense of what he's going to do in our lives and accomplish in our lives and, and what he wants us to do for him. It might be a different path. Both will be a righteous path, but I can be assured that the shepherd knows exactly the path I need. And if that path is in the valley of the shadow of death, it's okay. He's the great shepherd. Knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the path I need. He knows the valley I need. And I can trust him in that valley. I need not fear, for he is indeed with me. The great shepherd working in me to accomplish his will. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, Again, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. The rod was basically what we would consider a club that the, the shepherd would use to protect the sheep. The staff was that, that uh, big, long curve, looked like a cane, but much longer. And uh, he would use that, that staff to, to rescue the sheep. He'd use the, the hooked end of it to, to pull them out of the thicket or, or simply to guide the sheep to tap them so that they are on the right path. That, that, that rod and staff would be a, a great comfort to the sheep. And God is the God of all comfort who will comfort us in all of our tribulations. And then, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Um, he gives us such emotional stability and such assurance and such confidence that even in the midst of our enemies, we can sit down and have a banquet. Now, perhaps he's referring here to a, a, a banquet of victory over the enemies, that we would have a, uh, we'd sit down at a banquet and and as was common when there was victory over the enemy, that the, the enemy would be present, but you would have a banquet that was a, a banquet that proved your victory over that enemy. But whatever the case here, it's just victory, and in the presence of our enemies, we need not fear, because the great shepherd is with us. Now, anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Anointing one's head with oil was just a, a sign of a, a festive occasion, a, a time of, of great joy and celebration. And uh, my cup runs over, that's just a sign of, of abundance. You know, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But in John chapter 10, we read, um, I've come that they might have life. That's through the good shepherd giving his life for us. We have life but that they might have it more abundantly. That's the great shepherd. He's going to give us abundant life. So the good shepherd gives us life. The great shepherd gives us abundant life as, again, he works in us and with us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy. Sometimes we struggle we look at things going on in our lives and the challenges and the, the difficulties and, and we're tempted to say, this isn't good. David said, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, goodness will always follow me. My great shepherd assures me that it's always good. And whatever's happening in my life, it's all because of his love and his mercy Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Not just some days, not just once in a while, 
but all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great promise. The great shepherd promises that we're going to make it. He's not going to lose us along the way. He's going to make sure that we are walking that path of righteousness. He's going to work in and with us, and he will get us to his house. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we have the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We have the great shepherd who, who is making us perfect or, or completing us as he works in and through us. And then we come to chapter 24, which we read earlier. We refer to this as the chief shepherd. And that's taken from, from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Uh, Peter refers to the returning Christ as the chief shepherd as he comes again. And that's what chapter 24 is about. Psalm 24 is about the chief shepherd, the, the one who will indeed come again. And he says in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they who dwell therein. This world belongs to God. It's His. And everything in it belongs to Him. It's all His. Why? Because he has founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the floods. It's his because he's the one that founded it. It's his because he's the one that established it. It's his because he's the one that created it. It's all his. It belongs to him. And then these two questions. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Basically, that, those two questions are, are coming from the the, the thought of who's worthy? Who's worthy to, to ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who's worthy to, to stand in His holy place? Is there anyone worthy? It reminds me of Revelation chapter 5. Remember in John's vision in Revelation chapter 5, they were looking for somebody to open the seal. And nobody worthy was found. And John said he began to weep because nobody was found worthy to open the seal. And then one of the angels came to John and said, we found one who's worthy. The Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth. He is worthy to open the seal. And so we come here to, to Psalm 24 and we ask those, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who, who's going to stand in his holy place? Who's worthy to do so? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. And as we look at this as a messianic psalm, we see that the one who's worthy is indeed the Messiah, the Christ. The one who has clean hands, he knows no sin. A pure heart. He has, lifted, he has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. That's Christ. That's the Messiah. He alone is worthy. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Uh, we know from the Old Testament the promise of the Messiah. Behold, my servant, God says, behold, my servant whom I uphold and in whom I am well pleased. The Father, well pleased with the Son, the Father recognizing that the Son is indeed worthy and He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. The Messiah receives the blessing from the Father because He is well pleased with His Son. 
This is the generation of them who seek him, who seek your face, O Jacob. Selah, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. The picture here is that, that the earth opens its gates and opens its doors for the king of glory to come. And indeed, he is coming again. The chief shepherd is going to come again, and he will enter into the gates of this earth as we open the doors. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who's the king of glory? The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, Jehovah, the king of glory. He is Yahweh, the Messiah. He is Yahweh. He's the king of glory. He's mighty in battle, strong and mighty. Verse 9, just a repeat of verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. He is coming again. The chief shepherd is coming. And the earth will open its gates and its doors for the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the king of glory. The Messiah is Yahweh. And he's coming again. And so we have the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We have the great shepherd who is working in us to sanctify us. And we have the chief shepherd who is coming again. And I simply conclude tonight with this thought. I am so thankful that he's my shepherd. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these verses and psalms before us this morning, just reminding us of who our Savior is. Thank you that he gave his life for us, that we might have life. Thank you that he works in us and with us so that we might have abundant life. And thank you that he's coming again, which certainly reminds us that we have eternal life. As the earth will open its gates for its Messiah and its Savior. And we thank you this evening, Father, that we can claim him as my shepherd. And it's in his name we pray. Shall we stand? Guide us this week, Father, as we go about our responsibilities. May we fulfill those responsibilities to your honor and to your glory. May we keep in mind that our first and foremost responsibility is to simply draw people's attention to you and to worship you in our service. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. May God bless you.